Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Steve House, and I'm your host today. And I have two very special guests, Pretty Wright and Lindsay Ham, And we are going to talk about one of my favorite places in the whole world, the Characusa Valley in the Karakoram Range of Pakistan. Pretty Lindsay, welcome to the Epilogue Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having us. It's yeah. really amazing to be here. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, so you are both here because you were both recently in the Characusa Valley. And, you know, for those people that aren't familiar with this, can one of you kind of jump in and give a quick orientation to what this place exotic sounding as it is what it what it is where it is and uh yeah paint a little visual picture in people's minds of the Characusa. so the Characusa valley is located in the karakoram in the gilgit baltistan area um it is at the end of a long valley the jump off point is uh Huche, the village of Huche. Um, and then it's a three-day trek into the Characusa Valley. Um, the Characusa has been a popular place for rock climbing and for alpine climbing, mostly because of the sheer steep peaks and the vastness of the terrain. It's, it's super beautiful. I know I was super inspired to see pictures and really wanted to go. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Um, it was almost like a little Yosemite in my head and uh, just like lots of climbing rock or if you want to take it to Alpine, like with snow, ice and rock and all the things you can kind of have the playground of all that in one setting. Um, I think the Valley is um, brings a lot of different and special people, animals, flowers, and like wonderful porters that come with you as long as the, and with guides that um, are part of the logistics company, you've got like such amazing culture in that one spot. That's like a limitless amount of climbing and um, opportunity to meet new people within there. Yeah. When I think of the, the Charakus are one of the main impressions I have and I, w- I have not been there in a very long time but I was there in 2003 and 2004 and 2007 and you know it's it's a dead end kind of valley like it, it's this huge huge long valley as you said and the Charcas glacier itself is pretty good sized glacier and it's just the glacier just sort of ends in this ring of peaks and there's no there's no path at the top of the valley there's no easy way like it's just sheer walls of you know six and seven thousand meter or not seven thousand but six thousand meter peaks and it's it's quite an impressive sight and uh, you know the first time i was there i was coming the first time i was close was in 1999 trekking out from an attempt on Gashapum 4 
and we trekked out over the what's called the Gondogora Law, and we came down to a little camp called Shaishju. I think I'm I'm saying that right. <clears throat> and from there, you can kind of see these crazy steep alpine rock peaks. It looks like the peaks of Patagonia only at you know Himalayan scale. And you could kind of see these up in the head of the valley. And we were just like, what is that place? And it was sort of this thing like, oh, yeah, somebody we know like once trekked up there and there's no real information and not much has been climbed up there. And it was just sort of this mystery. And for me, the Charcusa, a big piece of it was always that for me was always that original feeling of mystery that I had that that it just was was pretty untouched at least when i first went there and i know some of that has changed and i want to want to get into that but you you do you enter like this i don't know it really feels like something that place that could be out of a tolkien novel or something it's just this incredible landscape uh and not the least of which is the places you spend a lot of your time base camp is you know, you guys forgot to mention the bouldering. Did you go bouldering? Oh yeah, we went bouldering. <laughs> oh yeah, magnificent bouldering and really fun with no pads. Um, but if you have enough people, <laughs> and if you get the porters and some of the guides to come out with you, you got more hands on deck. You know, it was great. Me and Purdy went, uh, and Jeff went bouldering, and she crushed. It was amazing to watch, and <laughs> Lindsay crushed. <laughs> No, stealing all her beta. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Like there was a good crew of us bouldering out there. So yeah, that valley brings like so much in this one like cul-de-sac. You know, you end at like a cul-de-sac yeah. <laughs> of all the mountains around you, you know? And uh yeah. the striking Neza and Farhad, you know, and of course K six and K seven in that area is just it's just, how can you really be mad out there, to be honest? Yeah. So, Lindsay, tell us a little bit about your journey this year. You went, uh, it was, as I recall, it's not your first time there. And, you know, what did you go to climb and what, what type of climbing, what was the climbing like? Yeah, so I kind of have to go back just, you know, the first time I went was actually, I went twice in one year. You know, and I, um, by like a month in between of that year, like I went last year in end of August into September, or sorry, August into September. And then this year we went a little bit earlier just to see if maybe the weather would be a little bit more stable in the July. Cause we had heard maybe it's a little less rainy, but, um, yeah, last year we trekked in and went for, um, a route, I don't, you know, I, Still don't know what this mountain is called because we've tried to look in the AJs. But you know the peak in between Spainster and Neza? That little tiny thing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know what it's called because I've looked and I've asked um, Vince. But uh, we put up a route that started along the side of Vince's route. And they just went to the, the estate on the skyline. And we kind of 
went bust out left and went through the gut of this route or this piece. Vince and I gotta get I gotta get credit in there too. I was with. Oh him. yeah, you were there too. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was Vince and Marco and I in 2007. Sorry. Yeah, I know where you went because Vince sent me a. a are you sent us both pictures i think yeah. before you went like asking what had been what we knew about which is one of the things i love about you know climbing is getting emails like that from people yeah. who are still exploring and checking some yeah. places out so we and so know, what was that what was that climb like was there more of a rock climb more of a mixed climb more of an alpine climb it was just rock it was all rock climbing it was awesome more slabby feature had a little bit of a roof um, climb and then very, very uh, sparse gear. And it mm. felt like I was a bit in the Black Canyon climbing. I had trained in the Black prior to coming out there just because I, you know, Josh Wharton always says, you know, if you want to go to Pakistan, train in the Black. And so I went and I've spent a lot of time in the Black Canyon. And um, with this route, we called it Pull Down the Sky at the end of it. And, uh, you know, had really um, techy climbing, I would say, a little bit of off with in there, but it was more techy slab climbing. And then yeah. when we got back down to the ground that evening, we pulled the rope and it just started raining and it didn't stop raining for a long time after oh. that. But it was awesome because it was all like such a beautiful moment because we sent this route and you know, it just, it, it was cool. It was just like all the porter, or I'm sorry, our guide came and got us and the cook and gave us cookies and tea and held our backpacks. It was great. And then, um, so it was just like a really nice feeling to feel loved from two people that we just met. And then like yeah. really wanting to make sure we were good and like giving us juice and cookies. And I just thought that it was such a welcoming feeling and um it was a start of a relationship i built with one of the guides Ilias, and i spend like a lot of time chatting with him on whatsapp and his wife gives me the best hugs i've ever been received by anybody aside from my mom it was like the most warming feeling i've ever had from a person and uh we tend the first time i went which was last year we stopped at El Ilias's house and I met his whole family and, you know, I got to see them this year too. Um, yeah. So last year was a little bit different, um, with the climbing, but we, we, we also did your route tasty talking and it was awesome. I thought that it was super spicy in some spots and, <laughs> um, really fun route finding. And I was like, man, the fact that they found this line is incredible. You know, and it was really a special feeling to top out two peaks, you know, yeah. and yeah. I thought, you know, for me, I thought that was a bit lucky, you know, like I was like, wow, I'm sure people come out here and don't send anything and have to come back. And I just got two peaks and on one, the Neza is like so beautiful. It's striking, right? Every morning you get out of your tent and you see this beautiful pyramid and you're like, oh my gosh am I really seeing this every day? And yeah, uh, I'll have to link a picture of, uh, Nasser on the, on the post with this, because it really is. It's like this giant pyramid of Giza that made out of granite that is almost 18,000 feet tall. It's, but it also offers like 
pretty moderate climbing by, you know, those, those standards for, for most of it. Totally. Well, we tried this year when we were going back, I had, you know, talked to Vince. I think I spoke to you about some new lines on the same formation. And, um, so last year on one of our regular days, I, me and another, um, my partner Dakota put up, um, like a single pitch and it was like five eleven, five twelve, but neither one of us got to finish it. And it was on the West side of NASA. And, um, we were going to just start a new route starting from this really cool cliff band. You know, it's like you could put up sport climbs and trad climbs and make like a little mini crag right there. It's oh, pretty yeah, spectacular. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. so that was kind of our vision. At, and I was like, well, next year I want to go back and like extend that, which was going into the Southwest Ridge of NASA, the, uh, that 511 you put up with Mark and Vince. Um, and, uh, we went, we put like six pitches up into the Southwest Ridge and then was trying to complete the route, but we kept getting shut down by weather. Like we would get these mm -hmm. afternoon showers and it was a little bit difficult to finish that. And what we originally want to do is half of the Southwest Ridge and then bust out onto the face on the West side still of it. And it just didn't happen, but it, I do see the vision and maybe, you know, sometimes it's fishing, not catching and these things, you know, and you just kind of have to like be patient and enjoy the process of meeting everybody, you know, like not staying in your tent and enjoying the, the group of people of, you know, like the cooks and we're all playing volleyball outside in the, at a base camp. And there's just more to the climb, more than just climbing there. You know, you can take pictures of all the flowers and then research them later and, you know, figure out what was out there that was comparative to sometimes the cascade flowers, you know? And mm. so it was just like a lot of, it just felt like home at some point, you know? And so I went back and, and also to look at stuff on far, all far East and other opportunities to extend my alpinism, you know, and, but I was more on the rock side of everything just because I wanted to yeah. go rock climbing. <laughs> just another, just another place where you can spend the rest of your life climbing in that one <laughs> pretty popular. Yeah. And I, I have yeah. to say like in my journals, I have some pressed flowers from, way back when the wildflowers in there are incredible and it's just so so beautiful tell me um pretty about your experience you know you've been you've climbed a lot in this little range you've climbed k6 a few years ago uh you got really high on k7 central i guess what are we calling that now um <laughs> or what are you calling that now? Uh, you know, last year you went back again. This year you did some uh, training with with uh, myself and Coach Martin Zor, and you know we, yeah, like you you've been around the block here on the on the Cherokees and this, these K six and K seven massifs. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I'm kind of on the opposite page of Lindsay. I am not doing like the rock climbing <laughs> strategy. Um, and although we were there, we were both in the Chargusa Valley last year. We didn't see each other last year, um, but we hung out a lot this year. Uh, and I would have loved to get to climb um, on 
uh, a couple of uh, the low leather peaks like Naser Brock. Of course, I think everyone wants to climb it. It looks like a beautiful, perfect pyramid. Who wouldn't want to climb on that? But um, me and my husband, Jeff, focused on uh, trying to climb K7 Central, which is still unclimbed. Um, we Last year, we put up a new route, although we didn't make it to the summit of anything, so it's hard to call it like a new route. But we went to explore the north face of K7 because uh, we saw some pictures from... Well, actually, we saw some pictures that Graham Zimmerman passed along to us from Kate Ballard of that side of the peak, and it looked pretty fascinating. And we strung together what we thought might be a line that would go. And last year, had no idea if it would actually go until we went out to check it out. But the route um, is really circuitous. It goes all the way around the Massif uh, to try to access K7 Central. Um, and it was amazing to get some of your pictures, uh, Steve, from your incredible solo and second ascent of K7 Maine, um, because it helps give us an idea of what we might see on the final rock pyramid. So we made the ascent up the north side following couloirs on the north ridge and got onto the K7 glacier, which is at like 6,400 meters. Uh, so it's a pretty high glacier, but it's huge. You could land a plane on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've giant. seen your pictures. I mean, I was at your slideshow in, in Arcteryx store in Seattle last fall. I mean, it's uh, incredible up over there. I was never on that side of the Massif. I never even saw it from where I was. So it's, yeah, it was really it cool to see uh, the pictures that you and Jeff took and just hear your adventures and so cool to on so many levels. But yeah, so yeah, it's a huge flat, like it's actually kind of a hanging glacier, I assume, right? Like doesn't, does it just like calve off into that? valley over there to yeah. the north somewhere i don't even know to what the happens northwest over side yeah it kind of calves off which is why none of the routes directly from like the kabiri glacier look super promising it's all kind of like falling off that direction mm. um but the the trouble with the route is it takes a long time to go all the way around the mountain to climb up that so side that's a long time like it, a day like three days three days just to get to the base of the technical climbing. We're going up and over Kaviri Pass and then down again and losing significant amounts of elevation just to get to the base. Um, and then it's a bit of a trek across the glacier. Uh, but then last year we climbed up to the call between Central and Maine and we had amazing weather and we got to climb pretty far up the granite, the like last steep rock pyramid to get to the summit. But we didn't have enough rock climbing gear. Um, we didn't. We had just had our mountaineering boots, no rock climbing shoes, and we we're running out of time. The weather was coming in, so we turned around. Um, and this year, we did the same route again and got to the same spot again. And the weather was so bad; the whole face was covered in snow and ice. And it's so steep. I don't think it's really climbable <laughs> in the conditions we had. It was so snowy and so icy. Yeah, I mean, from the pictures I saw of you, yeah, from the previous attempt from the rock climbing you did, it looked it looked like proper rock climbing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I know, yeah, no no question about that. Like real 
<laughs> real real cracks and real jamming and real fifth class rock climbing, not just like some some steppy, icy sort of fun mixed terrain. Blocky. It, it wasn't like it wasn't like that at all. Yeah, we when we saw what conditions it was in, we kind of wanted to go up to K seven Maine and uh, summit that and go down your route. Um, but avalanche conditions were too high and the snow was just way too loose. It had been snowing every single day for ten days. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's worth noting because I've talked to uh, a couple of I've talked to one. Um, guy that I coached who, who climbed K2 last summer and having another conversation with one of our coaches, Martin, who you who you briefly met, who mm-hmm. was attempting a FKT on Broad Peak. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the weather this year in the Karakoram was, was tough. And the weather can be like that in the Karakoram. Uh, you can just have summers where there's just never really you never really get a break and it's never really in my experience at least it it's never really like really bad like you might get in alaska where you get a big storm and you get lots and lots of snow and it's just kind of hard to let's say keep your tent from collapsing Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) but it's also never really good never good enough to climb and it's just wet can be really wet and yeah that's that's actually kind of how I got to the Charcuza. The first time when I actually went up there was in 2003 on the way out from one of those summers, attempting a peak called Masherbrum. We went out over the um, Gondagora Law again and ended up back in um, Shaisho. But that time we planned to go up to K7 Base Camp and just check it out. And it was it was wet. Uh, that season and and stuff, but I did the same thing you did, Lindsay. I actually went back to Islamabad, changed my plane ticket, got a fifty dollars trekking permit, and went back up there for a number of weeks just by myself with just a cook. Um, but in those days, there was nobody else around. It would have been nice to have had other climbers around. Actually, I mean, maybe not. Actually, I don't regret anything about my experience. I was up, I was up there completely by myself. There was nobody was really climbing up there on a regular basis there as far as i understand the the history of the climbing you know there was uh the japanese that made the first ascent of k7 in i think 1981 and then there weren't any climbers in there for a long time and then there's a a british climber who you actually met apparently pretty is that right or did, was he there this summer again or what's it die oh yeah die lampert um yeah he wasn't here this uh year um but yeah we got to meet die lampert and his son-in-law and partner uh their other climbing partner um last year yeah and they, i mean he's still going there i mean and he'd been when I was there in 2003, four, I think he'd already made like four attempts on K7, four separate expeditions. And, yeah, you know, I know Angela Haas had been on a trip in there to try to climb some of the peaks on the opposite side of the, the glacier. Yeah, she was on, I think they successfully put up a route more a big wall style on Fahad. On Fahad, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So on Fahad. Okay. I wasn't ever really <laughs> completely clear on where that yeah. was. Um, but there just wasn't much going on. It wasn't really on on the map. Um, and there was a, another kind of, I'd say, sort of spooky thing that happened is there had been a Hungarian alpinist 
who had gone up there by himself and it just disappeared and was never found. And they never found like his passport surfaced like three years later and some, some, it, you know, somewhere and got sold to somebody, but like, you know, he, he, he disappeared. Like no, nobody was ever found. He was climbing up in there somewhere. Nobody knows what happened to him. So there was just, that was, that was basically like all the information that was kind of around back then um i sound like that old guy telling him oh, back in the old days when i used to be uh, climbing <laughs> but there was it was really just uh it was really just a, a different different time and i'm actually really sort of you know with these places that you love so much you know i don't in a way it's, it doesn't feel fair to keep them a secret like I love it so much because it is so incredible and it's like even a place I want to take my kids someday, you know, just like, even if I just go trekking back there and maybe go climb one easy rock route or attempt, as you said, go fishing a little bit just for some rock climbing or something. I would love to do that some, sometime, but uh, yeah. What a, tell me about the scene now. Like what is it? Or maybe a scene isn't the right word, but there's a few, there's a number of expeditions there every summer with people doing, attempting a variety of objectives from, you know, hard rock climbs, you know, hard free climbing all the way up to this sort of high altitude alpinism. Yeah. It seems like every couple of years, there's like a resurgence in interest in the Characusa Valley. We're probably right in the middle of that. There seems like there's a lot of people interested in a variety of objectives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was last year. It was just me and I guess you and your husband were there by them by yourselves. Yeah. And then I was there with, you know, the three other gentlemen that I was climbing with. And then this year it was like 16 people in K7 base camp. It was, uh, I mean, I had a volleyball. 16 16 people. Yeah, I was uh, busy. So so, so 16, are you counting guides and? One one six. One six climbers. 16. 16 climbers plus, I don't know, how how, five five cooks, five guides. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was getting into that. Yeah, the uh, there's just so many people. You know, we have yeah, so many porters coming in, coming out. They were doing multiple loads, same porters, and I just have like a whole nother respect for those humans, <laughs> like them it's going in and out. Reckon. Not not at all. And they, you know, with the clothes that they have and the shoes, I'm like, wow, I have like the best shoes on, and they have like their. <laughs> you know, just regular plastic, you know, just normal shoes that they just sold at the market, you know, and just and, have and last a- year, they didn't even have those shoes. They were all falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Apart. Jeff and I like bought new shoes for porters. <laughs> oh, that's good. Cause I, okay. I gave my shoes and socks. I had an extra pair. So I did the same thing. I gave shoes and a bunch of clothes. Like this year I gave like sleeping bag and jackets and stuff yeah. that I, and I see, I think that's so great, you know, that when we can like get off of that and see that, you know, they've put in so much time and effort to get all of our stuff out there. I want to show more gratitude and just, just a tip, you know, like, and, um, they appreciate it, you know, and they remember you. Yeah. I, uh, this year, Jeff and I had the same cook and cook's assistant, um, as we did last year, Ibrahim and cook's assistant Idris. 
And it was fantastic because they were wearing the shoes we gave them last year and we're making the same jokes we made the year before. Idris had another baby while he was gone on expedition again. <laughs> Ridiculous. And and it, for context, this is all like um, at the height of basically Rainier. That's where base camp is. It's at like 6,300 and, or sorry, 4,365 meters. So there's no snow on the ground, but it's really high altitude. Yeah, I mean, you're, you are burning calories while you're sleeping, you know, like, and it's, that's, before I go into the Cherokee, I, I mean, you did uphill athlete, like I did my own training program to build muscle. And because I knew that I was going into a place that I'd be, you know, even if I'm going up to 18,000, I mean, you're just working hard just being there, you know, and yeah, absolutely. It was really fantastic to um, get to train with Martin Zor and Uphill Athlete. And also I did do an acclimatization program here in Seattle, which mm-hmm. was fantastic because I got to base camp one with no illnesses because my body wasn't so taxed. And then two, feeling pretty well acclimated. And after like one day at base camp, Jeff and I went up to climb Sulu Peak which is like the acclimatization peak, 6,000 meters. Um, and we got to the top and slept at the top with no problem, like 10 days out of Seattle, which is at sea level. So I call that like huge success. I'm really impressed. Yeah, I think we've, we're, we're figuring out a lot in the last couple of years about how to better, like, we don't, of course, understand that we're going to do a whole nother podcast series about this in the future. But I think that we've, we don't understand why it works, but we're figuring out more and more about what works with, with people working with people like you, Brittany, where like, and it's a lot of the sort of trial and error. We're not really sure, you know, we get, you know, you get Martin's been doing, um, you know, also he, he's involved in research on the research level mm-hmm. and, and he's doing a master's. Uh, thesis around this sort of normal barrack hypoxia training and how to could what is actually the mechanism and he has a certain theory that he's he's testing and he's one of his own test mm-hmm. subjects in the study and I think we are getting yeah. closer to, to figuring out some of these things and it's ideal for this kind of scenario where you know it's not like you're going to be acclimated enough to go to like 8,000 meters without supplemental oxygen, but for going to, you know, 6,000 meters, which, you know, is actually, to be honest, most of the peaks in the world, uh, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to have a real advantage and, and, and be able to, but away from the technical stuff, I'm really fascinated. Um, I want to hear from each of you more about your experience with the culture and, I'll also say, you know, we one of the one of the pieces of feedback that I've always had when I've talked about climbing in Pakistan or trekking in Pakistan is always people like, oh, isn't it dangerous? And I've I've always been a big uh, kind of proponent of of adventure travel in Pakistan and in in Car- particularly in the Karakoram mm-hmm. range. I just think it's so incredible. It's such a unique landscape and there's such a unique culture. And I'm so grateful for climbing that it opened that door for me where I was able to, you know, at a young age, like see these different cultures and ways of living that are completely different than anything I 
would have experienced otherwise. And I feel like you two have an even additional window because as women, you are able to, you know, step into and see a part of the world and the culture there that I would never be allowed to see as a, as a male. So, you know, can you t- t- talk to me about how, how you experience that? And, you know, I mean, outside of the, the climbing for a second, just, just, just stepping into the kind of lens of, of maybe tourists. I don't know, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, I think like being an outsider of all the things, you know, um, I come from Texas, I'm from Texas, so I'm so happy about climbing. Um, cause it brought me to this place. I never would have ever thought like I'd ever even have a chance to climb out here. Um, and then to, on top of that, to be a woman within the climbing realm is already a huge step forward for a lot of us, even in the, the guiding world and that are women and yeah. dealing with um, a lot of patriarchy and like, how do we, what space do we have, you know, improving ourselves within these um, spectrums. But, um, you know, people said the same thing, like, aren't you scared of going to Pakistan? Isn't it dangerous? And uh, yeah. All of it is, I could say a lot of things are dangerous right now. Um, but when I, the first time I went, I think it was a little bit of a different experience because I was with four men and then I was just, you know, I was around them and maybe the, some of the things that I saw this year compared to last year was definitely different. There was a different feeling when, uh, you know, I was there and, um, with a lot of people maybe staring at me. And one could get really like nervous about that. But I was like, well, this is, I mean, I'm, it's like a different stare. I think they're just like curious, you know, like I'm a white woman and a climber and I've got big muscles and I'm with four dudes. Like, I think there's just curiosity. Um, And then I also think there's curiosity of the women looking at me as well and being like, who is she? Like, why is she here? You know, these are like gossips of their towns of like seeing women climbers and climbers, you know? And I think that my experience of the first time was really great. I had a guide named, again, it was Ilias. We had him twice and he looked at me and he was like, Hey, are you nervous about people staring at you? And my guide was very noticeable of that, you know, asking me, he's like, let me know if you're uncomfortable. And I thought it was super respectful, you know, like, he was doing his job. I was the only per- woman there. And then he goes, if anybody touches you, let me know. Cause we don't do that. And I go, he's like, we are good people of Pakistan. I'm like, okay. Like it just felt very, I got lucky to get this person that was going to be my guide because I felt very much backed by this male, you know? And, um, he was really good at his job. That's why I hired him again. So I think this year was a little different. It was four women and one male. And we definitely had one issue with one of the porters um, following us into the bathroom and looking at us. And that happened, you know, and we told the we told the guide and the guide made every single one of the porters come sit down and have a chat with them. And we didn't see that person again. And I thought that it was handled really well. So I did feel very well, like I felt protected and respected in that sense by my, my group of people, especially I'd been there twice in one year. 
And I think that, um, you know, with that violation, I didn't, I, I don't think I lost, like, I didn't feel like I was going to lose any trust with these people because I felt like they did their job and got the person out and made everyone feel comfortable again, you know? And I think as, you know, these more and more tourists come and come climb and stuff, they're going to have to deal with, you know, with, we're going to have to deal with that as women in certain circumstances, you know, like we're not covered up and, you know, I wear long sleeves, but maybe my, not my hair is not covered up and there's, it's just, I'm a different human to them, you know, and there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of us. And I think that this year was pretty unique because we had four, five, six, seven women out in base camp this season. Yeah. We might've almost overnumbered the men. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot more porters coming in, a lot more guides and cooks. And, um, I played volleyball with all of them every day, you know, like as much as I was curious about them, they were curious about me and I got to know them and hang out in the cook tent and hang, you know, and try to get some type of dialogue going on with them, you know, and know where they're from. And I just felt like the connection there for me was, um, really genuine. And I think that there's, and every place you go, there's genuine people and there's not genuine people regardless. So I felt like there was a lot of genuine humans at base camp, like Sam, yeah, you're, uh, very respectful very respectful yeah and like he spotted me and I think he grabbed maybe he thought he grabbed my stomach or something or an inappropriate part and he was just like I'm so sorry he's like no no no, you kept me from (laughs) breaking my ankle just now (laughs) it's okay and then he built that beautiful spa the yeah. the cold <laughs> plunge in the river that he lined with beautiful rocks it looked like a piece of art yeah <laughs> architecture built out of the rocks in the valley yeah it was it was pretty wonderful I think that like even with the kids there and the young girls and they're all trying to talk to you in English and we're trying to talk tell them to teach us Urdu or some Balti and it just felt pretty great, you know, and I think that it was, uh, it was different experiences. I don't know if it was because I was with more men versus women, but you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. And I've always had a slightly different experience because I've been with Jeff, my husband, and he's a man who can handle the man things. Um, and it's just kind of the way how it has been in the past, I suppose, where you, you just, if there is the man in the group, that's the one everyone will talk to. Um, but I see changes and I, I always try to meet the ladies out there. And I met Amina Hanif, who's a climber and her little sister, and they had just returned from climbing Gondogora Peak out there with their dad. Um, people have interest in this. And she's gone climbing internationally as well. And I have also been a bit of a part of the ICRA fund um, that Genevieve Walsh and Doug Chavot are helping educate uh, girls in specific in the Hushe Valley and other places. And I got to meet Nasreen, who is going for her PhD in math. And she's from Hushe. She's the first woman 
to graduate with a math degree and she's going for her PhD now. And it's just amazing to see this kind of shift where I think it's more than just foreign ladies who are um, seen as more capable of doing things besides the normal womanly functions um, and treated with respect. Yeah. I To piggyback, we as well are part of the, we worked with the ICRA fund this year and um, raised two grand for the, the women. And we, got to meet some of the women that have their master's degrees in Houshay and they're the teachers and we met some of them and it's a wonderful time. Yeah. I think Purdy and I both were on a, got interviewed and both said the same thing. Like we were both funding and helping out similar women and it was really cool to hear. And, uh, yeah, we also donated like school supplies, like $1,500 worth of school supplies and the teachers came and divvied up that to the schools and I think to to add on to pretty like it is like we are not just you know we're we're far more than a lot of people expect in this world um as a woman and I really love being out there to see them see us you know go and trek and carry packs and see um maybe that can spark something with them, you know, like spark their curiosity to go climbing, you know, and there's, I think pretty knows that there's so much we could do as climbers when we're out there to introduce that. And if it's to meet the women or meet the kids, meet all the individuals, I think that's a huge part of it, you know, and I don't think a lot of climbers do that. I also felt like Captain Sam, Captain Ibtisam, was so respectful to everyone. I feel like personally, I learned a lesson of just how to treat people in general. And I came back with that here. And I'm like, I'm just going to treat everyone with that level of respect. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that was the best smile every day, right? Like, God, it was like, just huge. And you're like, I could never be sad when I was around him. And he gave me a hug a couple times. It was like the best hug. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone was struggling to do anything, he would immediately just jump in to try yeah. to help them do whatever they're doing. They're like, oh, Who is this, this person? Tell, this tell is them. our uh, liaison officer, me and Jeff, and also uh, Tom and Ted who were out there. And he had such a swagger when he'd walk. So you knew because... Priti and Jeff and Tad and Tom were all up on the upper camp and we were down below and you would see Sam come in and you're, I'm like, Oh, that's totally Sam walking. And he has his <laughs> pain, his hat. He just has a swagger like, Oh, cool. Sam's coming over. I'm excited to see him. And then he, he get all quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like, we get the whole crew of like cooks and porters to like play volleyball. And then he and I would like, try to get in this match of spiking the ball at each other and it was just really fun sometimes even if you couldn't climb there was just like so much activity this year you know and uh it was nice to go and we'll walk over to Priti and Jeff and say hi to them and then um they had movies which was great Priti and Jeff had a full-on uh theater in their we had two movie nights and, and one <laughs> dance night. <laughs> yes. And the porters, oh no, I'm sorry, the porters, sorry, the cooks and the guides came and danced with us and watched movies with us. It was awesome. 
<laughs> so it was like legit. I learned some dance moves. That's for sure. <laughs> that's true. There was like a couple of them. I was like, all right, I'm going to use that back in, back in the states. But you talk about community. I mean, their whole world is surrounded by community, and it felt like we had this big one this year. And I think there was tough times and good times, and everyone could find some wisdom within each other, even if it wasn't with someone who knows your full language, you know. And it it was cool. It was a different, definitely a connect, different feeling this year for me. A different vibe. Me too. It was really amazing to go out there and see the same people again, and these people know our other friends. It really is quite a, a community. It felt different this year. Um, I got to meet Rasul, who I think was probably made famous by Steve Swenson and all his um, books and mm-hmm. uh, talks about where he just mentioned Rasul constantly. So I got to meet the man. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, Rasul. <laughs> he, he was our I met Russell on the trip with Steve Swenson in 1999 in G4, and then he was my cook on a number of expeditions along with another guy, Fida. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's so interesting. This is it's so uh, warming and satisfying for me to hear you two speak about this because all of the things that you're relaying and talking about, particularly around you know your interactions with your liaison officers with your with the porters with the people you know you hired to help you you know prepare meals and base camp and these things they're all exactly like the, the memories i have you know they're just like these these wonderful memories of these really genuine interactions with really genuinely good humans that you know we struggled to communicate oftentimes but that was what was always really clear was that there was like a good heart in those, in those people. And, you know, I just, you know, whether it's, I've also participated in, I mean, granted the technology was obviously different. We had like the Sony Walkmans with, you know, little portable speakers <laughs> that ran on double A batteries, but you know, we also had dance nights. Um, movie nights were not quite a thing yet back then in terms of like the technology, but you know that all these things that you're 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 talking about like raising money buying school supplies giving away your equipment like we did all of those things you know um there's a girl you know as, as you two know i mean you know there's a school that i've been supporting there for i don't know almost 20 years of a girl's school in one of the villages and one of those students is now in a, a girl is now in medical school and her dream is to go back and be the first female medical doctor in the Huse Valley. And, you know, we have, you know, I have other stories where there's one in our cook Fida who, you know, I supported his three sons through their educations. They went through private schools and then they went to university. One of them was an attorney in Islamabad and argued a case in front of the Supreme Court of mm. Pakistan. One of them is a WordPress developer and works in tech and lives in Lahore. The other, you know, their father needed knee replacements last year and they just like did it. Like they have the means to like organize it, do it, pay for it. And now their father who spent his life starting as a porter and then a cook who now needs double knee replacements got it and he and this is a guy who lives literally in a stone hut with no electric light 
I mean, and, and he got a double knee replacement last year. And they they call me on Christmas Eve, like on WhatsApp video calls and like stuff. You know, it you know here it is. I haven't seen those guys in, since two thousand seven, and they're still staying in contact, and they still care about me, and they still want to see pictures of my family and want to hear what I'm up to, and and I still want to hear about them too. And it's just it's so so cool, right now now uh, like. Uh, uh, you know, they're just as likely to comment on a LinkedIn post of mine as they are, <laughs> which is just crazy, right? Like, who would have thought that, like, you know, here we'd be on conversing at this totally different level and this totally different means. And I think you have lifelong friends is what I'm, yeah. I'm saying. And that is something that's really, really special. There's this like portal, how we can go to these small villages across the world and, meet people in person and then although now everyone is on the internet people in Hushay are learning this is Instagram this is Facebook it's so important to stay in communication but when you meet people in person and spend this amount of time with them in harsh conditions like you just build a family and a connection that's spreads across the world yeah I think that uh is like my favorite part of the expeditions you know, like, how can I give back while I'm there? You know, I feel like that's super fun to meet um, all the all the kids and the guides' families or the cooks' families if we can. I'm like, you know, I I've been asked by Ilias to come live with him for six months in their house, <laughs> and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> like that is amazing. You know, just to have that like much invitation like he invited me to his son's wedding last year and it was so close for me to like I think I was taking my alpine exam so I couldn't go but it was just like wow like I got invited to a wedding you know and it's just that endless friendship that I'll have with him and you know what? I'm gonna continue to every year that I go I'm gonna hire him and I get to see their family and I get to see all of his sons grow up He's got a little son right now, grew like a whole foot since last year, two feet since I've seen him. Like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I just, I love it. And like to see the kids again, like every year and they're like, I remember you. And you're just, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a different feeling. And um, I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoy my second family is what I call them for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and 15 years from now, you're going to be like seeing those kids are going to be grown up and in university and in professional roles. And you're going to be like emailing them for advice on, you know, WordPress programming yeah. or something, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it is, it is such a, such a circle. It's incredible. It's so great to, to hear that that piece of that still truly lives on and the experiences that you two are having over there. Yeah, and like Gafour's son, one um our logistics manager, he is amazing. So what what a funny guy. His son knows like four languages. And he spoke in all of them while we were at um in Condi and told me what he was doing at the university and it's just it's quite impressive, you know, and um I was very jealous of all the languages he knows because I'm like, I wish I had done that, you know, and um, it's inspiring, you know, and it makes me want to 
try harder with language, you know, and other things that I do abroad. Me too, definitely. And also just how happy everyone is and mm-hmm. um, satisfied and also just in- inviting, like very kind to everyone. Um, you don't get that everywhere. At least in at least in the Hushe Valley, <laughs> everyone is extremely inviting and friendly. Yeah, and I, I think that um, that is something that you know we I have seen and I know others have experienced throughout the sort of Baltistan region, which is this little upper right hand corner of of the current Pakistani border, you know, mm-hmm. outside of Kashmir, but, you know, not, oh, not all the way like, uh, into Gilgit and some of these other areas that are still the Karakoram, but that, you know, people are just super, super genuine. And one of the things that I think is interesting too, is if we, if we, turn this around and we think about it from their perspective and they were doing a podcast about the people that came to their home valleys and came to their weddings or came to their schools, what they would be talking about, what they learned and what their perspective is. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is they genuinely understand like have a perspective on climbing and on what we do as as climbers as alpinists as a, whatever we are explorers of the of our little mountain worlds and they value it and they they see the beauty of it and i think that while they most for the most part don't like long for it themselves with obvious exceptions they really do appreciate it and really do appreciate that we come over there and and are climbing in, you know, their mountains and they feel really honored by that. And, you know, their mountains are really incredible. Let's face it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the, there's stuff right outside of Houchet on the right side, going to Seychelles. (laughs) You could find so much rock climbing from there and yeah, they just live in, such a paradise in my eyes, you know, um, just because of the sunsets and sunrises that come out of there. And um, yeah, I think all the animals that you see, I would love to see an Ibex in real life, but we only got <laughs> Me to too. some poop and some skulls. So. <laughs> we have seen a few in the Characusa, but um, you know, there weren't as many people around. I think when there's six, that many people, I bet, I bet they hightail it out of there. Yeah. 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 That's, that's incredible. So, you know, if we have to kind of think about the, I don't know, next 15 years of climbing in the Characusa, what does it hold? What it, you know, how much longer can it hold this sort of special place or this mystique uh, that, it, that it seems to still have? What are your thoughts? What do you see happening in terms of the, the climbers, the popularity? Love to hear your thoughts. It seems like a really complex environment. Um, I don't, just because of the difficulty in getting there, uh, I think it'll stay for like the next 10 years. Still not too like crazy crowded. Um, 
And also, it depends upon the Pakistan government and how many people they allow to get permits for different areas. I know that there have been people who wanted to get permits to nearby valleys and they couldn't they couldn't get it. Um, and it also depends upon when like Starlink comes to Pakistan and everyone suddenly has excellent internet in Hushay and they're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll jump out of here and go somewhere more profitable. Um, I think things like that might end up changing the scene a little bit quicker than the access will still be difficult. There's so many landslides just across the road to get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think, Lindsay? Yeah, I think that, and um, I mean, she put that perfectly, you know, with what's going on and the logistics of it all is super hard and it's like a year of planning, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. With like not a whole lot of climbing often. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the amount of um, work that goes into planning this is a huge thing, you know, with training, with money, with uh, putting all the, you know, all the parts together, talking to the, the companies, the government, the visas, the all, all that. And it's a, it's a lot. And I think that, yeah, I think we have a bit of more time before it becomes too crazy. I think that, you know, the more people climb out there, there's more, um, beta. It was actually really fun not to have any real beta on tasty talking and just kind of like <laughs> go up there and see if I could pick and find your line instead of, you know, not getting off too. And I thought that was like a really special part of that. And like, of course I'm going to put stuff up in the AAJ, but I do think it needs to stay a little wild. And the fact that, you know, like I want beta out there, but it's also really fun to like let it be, you know, and, um, there's enough places with super topos. I mean, I'm down for that, but not, not in this place for some reason. I just want it to be what it is, you know, and like that adventure and was like the most I've ever had in my life, you know, both times. And I had to really try hard and, um, really, swim through a lot of terrain that I may have not really experienced before. And, um, I think that with it being very wild, having the experience and the, in, in the skills to be out there is a huge factor that might not keep, you know, might keep it, um, you know, still a bit, um, secluded and, um, real. It's not like, (laughs) it's not going, to your backyard crag alpinism it's like even the rock climbing out there is um one to make you pucker a little bit you know and make you really think and how how do i get through this terrain and have you know do i have the experience to do it it's just being prepared and that's that year of planning you know and um figure out your team and then you know that's that there's so many parts to it so i think that um, yeah, it's not going to Indian Creek and planning a trip with your friends or Yosemite, you know, it's, it's hard time getting back there, hard time getting pre- permits and, um, yeah, everything has to align <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. I like that idea that it sort of stays, as you said, as it is. And, you know, I sort of feel like a really great route doesn't need a topo because the route ex- the route, uh, you know, we didn't 
put up the root. The root was already there. Right. We just we just sort of un, we just sort of dusted it off and discovered the passage. Um, the root was there all along and been there for thousands of years. So you know why should anyone need a topo to tell exactly where it goes? It's pretty like you said. You know you just can follow follow your nose and let the mountain show you where you should climb. And that's that's exactly what what happens so much in like real what I consider sort of traditional alpinism and i don't care if the alpinism is climbed on rock or ice or mixed or snow or whatever but just that kind of the spirit of alpinism is really like adventure and discovering and uncovering and fishing more than catching and all of those those things and it's so lovely to hear that this that this spirit of of alpinism really persists in this really magical kingdom as, as i think of it I think it's also really hard for me to say how many more people will go out there because there's a bunch of people who go out and never say anything at all. We met a team of Japanese people to climb K7 last year. They didn't mention it anywhere. Haven't seen a single note that they went out there. Nice. Um, as yeah. well as the, the other team, the WASH team. Yeah, that is very true. There's some dark horses who just don't, you know, put the topo sometimes out there, I, you know? Sometimes and, I wish I would, just so you'd know, was this climbed before yeah. or not? I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I think Pete Takat, what's his, I'm sorry, I'm messing up his Takeda. last name. Um, Pete, it, he does that, I believe, um, where he's gone out quite a, I mean, he's been all over the place, and he has definitely said, I believe in an interview, that, he doesn't put out some of his topos because it's like, let somebody else find that line. And because the line has been there, like you were saying, Steve, and let them have their own adventure. And it's kind of like that still that spirit of that is like, I was like, am I going to worry about getting on somebody else's route? I'm like, you know what? Let, let me feel it. You know, like let the mountain call to me a little bit. Like, you know, um, I bet Steve and all of them are happy that I'm climbing on this piece of rock, you know, and, feeling what they felt in the two th early 2000s now or in 2023, you know, like, and just feeling that adventure. And I think that that's like a, a very special thing in, in the alpinism. You never know if you're really on route sometimes and it doesn't matter <laughs> like, yeah. on your own way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It kind of doesn't matter because it's about the experience you're having right then, not whether or not it's not about right or wrong on route or off route. And it's also fun, like I've also done that and then, you know, climb something and then not really talk about it. But there's there's a fixed piton like 80% of the way up there in the middle of the, <laughs> you know, just, just a little clue, just a little like, you know, in, in case anybody ever comes here again, here's a little, here's a little hint. <laughs> but it's kind yeah. of fun, like playing blues sometimes I feel like when I'm, asking everyone for beta, like asking you, Vince, Steve, Mark, you know, like to put all these pieces together to figure out something like an objective to do, even if I'm not really looking for specifically a line, but like just having all this, like all these clues to get me to whatever's calling me for that objective, you know? And I think that was a really fun part of getting to know some of these, um, some of you guys that have been climbing out there for a long time you know, and, um, and now, 
you know, getting responses about the climbs that I'm, you know, that I ventured on and having these, like, um, you know, I had Steve send me a message. I was like, all oh, the memories out there in the Cherokee, you know, and just, uh, it was cool. It's just been really nice to have some, uh, you know, history behind it all. And then also Vince dropping me every picture that he can be like, go here, go there. Go there. Just the psych level is so good from people you look up to. And I think that's the, the fun part of the planning of it all. Right. And I do hope people go out there, but, you know, talk to everybody and then you get to meet all these people and have conversations about the culture and the, the community and what else you could do out in these villages while being on your expedition. When Jeff and I uh, climbed K6 Central, um, we got in contact with the first and only team to climb K6 Maine. They climbed it in 1970. And one of the guys uh, is still alive, Fred Prezel. And he sent us all these pictures of their expedition out there. And they had to like inflate a bunch of sleeping pads and forward a river. They have these black and white photos. It's pretty cool to picture what it would have been like back then to go on this crazy expedition. And they were all like under 30. They were all like pretty young in my opinion, <laughs> to be going and making this first ascent of like a 7,000 meter peak. It was cool to watch your YouTube videos, Steve and Vince and Mark are out there and y'all are just with your uh, video recorder. It was just like awesome. I'm like, this is great footage. It was just, um, I always put a smile on our face. <laughs> we watched that video of um, K7 West. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. We'll have to find a link to that and put it in here. I don't know where it is anymore, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was, you know, kind of a fun project because just in the sense of wanting to share, like, and I think one of the themes that I've just heard again and again and again is community. We've talked about the communities of the Balti people. We've talked about the communities of all these climbers across all these generations from, you know, people climbing in the seventies to people climbing now to, you know, me and my contemporaries climbing there 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, it, it just, it's, yeah, that's what it's really all about, right? Like, and it's and it is funny how like I wouldn't be talking to you two or have gotten to know either of you as well as I do if it hadn't been for the climbing you've both done there, and we have a connection essentially because of this place that we weren't even there at the same time. We were there like fifteen plus years apart, but it still kind of connects us and bonds us, and we have something in common, and we have like probably know a lot of the same people just because of that connection, and it's just like this this web, the web of community. So either of you have any sort of, sort of final thoughts about the Characusa? Like, I, I'm curious to hear if you could like say just a few words of like what it, like, I don't want to uh, pr project too much of my own, uh, you know, love for the place. Uh, I, I, will, I really want you to each have, you know, feel full, you know, agency and, and communicating whatever it is you individually feel for the place. And I just want to know what that is. Like, how does that, what is it for you? Like in just a, like a nutshell. I, 
for me, it's like, I, I guess like if I can give any advice or keep giving my own self advice about the Cherokees like, don't stay in the tent the whole time, walk around, go meet the cook, go listen to whatever you know, birds out there. There's so many different birds and bring a little bird out. Like there's, you know, like I think the opportunity um, to not just, yeah, you want to sit in your tent and you want to talk to your friends and your, your partners, but also get out of the tent, be an insider if you can within that area versus being a little bit of an outsider and get kind of out of your comfort zone when it means playing volleyball with a bunch of people you've never met go and visit the next tent over and get to know new people, even if it's really scary, but like even go venture off into the Cherokee glacier, just to look at this glacier and the boulders that are out there, or, you know, like just have some meditation time within your own self. You know, when do you get an opportunity now to be that off the grid, you know, and, enjoy that peaceful mind and be just be you in a foreign area and uh, be a little, feel a little out of control and feel, get out of your comfort zone within the area. You're already out there uncomfortable sometimes because it's raining and, you know, there's tensions of climbing and, um, but yeah, like try to open your scope and your lens of it just staying in a tent and, wanting more privacy, try to like open up their whole world as kind of like not as private. I mean, it's like, like they are so in each other's spaces, like there's barely any doors, you know, everyone's in and out of each other's worlds. And they share a lot within the Pakistani community. Like it's a lot of sharing and just go share stories and clothes and opportunities with people you don't know, you know, aside from your group you know, and I think that was like my favorite part of it all. And I'll continue to do that. And, um, you know, open my eyes to everyone around me and open my ears up and all the, all my heart for everybody. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was like my favorite place in the whole world. I'll like always tear up a little bit when I talk about the Cherokee, cause it's like my favorite place to be. And that's probably why I'm going again next year. So, so probably sell my van and go back to Pakistan. So, yeah. <laughs> I agree with Lindsay. It's like one of the most beautiful places on earth, but it's also so extreme. And of course, you're climbing mountains. It's very extreme. So, you're putting yourself in these difficult environments and situations. And that brings the best out in people or the worst out in people. And Luckily, we're with so many people, we get to learn a lot from each other and just try to put our best foot forward and continue to do that and learn so many new things. I'm learning how to kind of stay respectful and um, civil and polite in extreme difficult situations. And I hope that I can impart to other people how to like clean up all the trash and keep it a nice, beautiful place for people in the future. Cause there's a little bit sometimes difficulty in cleaning up all the trash. We deal with it differently. Um, so I don't know. There's so many things always to learn from everyone and continue to improve. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was good. Pretty. <laughs> Thanks. Well, those are beautiful sediments to end on. And I think we should just let your words speak for themselves. Thank you for joining me. It's not just one, but a community together. We are uphill athlete. Thanks for listening.